So uh, just this week, my wife and I celebrated our 20th year anniversary. It's easy as a pastor to stand up here and just say something like that and know you're all going to be like, yeah, good job. 20 years. Uh, Now, I know what many of you are thinking, by the way. Uh, She deserves a medal, am I right? (laughs) Some of you who know me well are like, true story. But let me reassure you, it's going to take way more than a medal to do justice to that kind of sacrifice. Am I preaching? (laughs) There are obviously many things uh, that I've learned over the course of 20 years of marriage. One thing, though, that is especially helpful for us to think about today uh, as we celebrate um, God coming to us in Jesus, one thing that we're talking about in this series and that is helpful for us today is the interface of expectations and communication. Because <laughs> that happens a lot in marriage. Are we preaching yet? Expectations and communication meet <laughs> and become this sometimes ugly and sometimes wonderful mix in marriage. Here's what I mean. Looking back over the last 20 years uh, of marriage, um, it is very clear to me now <laughs> that going into marriage, Um, I expected my wife to communicate with me in a very certain way. Any of you who have been married for any period of time kind of know what I mean. I'm embarrassed to admit this, um, but I basically expected my wife to communicate to me and with me uh, by bowing down at the altar of Scott. (laughs) That seems like an exaggeration, but that's how depraved I really am. Looking back many years later, many of y'all are like, "Ah, I think that's actually, yes, that's what I was. Going into marriage, I basically expected her to make a habit of bowing at the altar of Scott, of saying things routinely like, yes, honey, (laughs) and by all means, dear, and uh, things like, is there anything else I can do to serve you, oh, great one, (laughs) Things, things like that. I just sort of assumed early on in marriage, some of y'all are too young to know this, but this is looking back, I just assumed that going into marriage, she would sacrifice herself at the altar of my needs to the point of assessing how I needed to be taken care of and how I perceived that that was the case. And then she would say and do whatever had to be done to meet those expectations. I still know, by the way, that many of you are thinking, (laughs) you're a fool. How little did you know? It gets worse. Not only did I expect, yes, honey, and by all means, dear, to just sort of magically happen in the course of our relationship, I also expected she would listen to me if I simply spoke louder and more forcefully. Awkward silence means you feel it too. (laughs) All y'all who aren't responding out loud. I used to call uh, raising my voice and speaking louder and more forcefully passion. (laughs) But now I know it better as like immature bombast or pride. Uh, By the way, newly married young men, uh, listen to me clearly. She understands you. She gets it. You needn't speak louder to be heard. You're welcome. (laughs) 
saving you years of frustration this morning. He who has ears to hear. So, suffice it to say that I've had to learn the hard way that communicating well is not the same as communicating loudly or forcefully. Communicating well does not simply require more of the same method you were trying. Communicating well is vastly different. It requires personal care and physical presence. Communicating well is communicating personally, like this, in a with you kind of way, in a way that is heard and in a way that is needed. And I say that because that is the story of Christmas. Communicating well is communicating personally. And we see this play out in the Christmas story, especially today in the series, our, in the series that we're talking about, um, what were you expecting, especially in these birth announcements like we see today with Mary. In this birth announcement of Jesus and Mary's response to the move of God. So in this, this birth announcement of Jesus here and Mary's response, it is clear to us, as we'll see, that God is communicating differently than expected. But he's communicating well and effectively for this reason. Because it's with us. It's personal. Let me show you what I mean. Jump in with me at Luke first chapter couple of places here that we'll look at and we'll go pretty quickly through the scriptures today. Uh, we usually spend a little more time going deeper than this, but we're just going to kind of use this as some background to help us make this point today. Look at Luke 1, 26 through 38, and then we'll jump again after that, uh, starting in at uh, verse 46. It says this, Luke 1, verse 26, in the sixth Month. This refers to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, not Mary. We're jumping in partway of the story here. Foretelling of John the Baptist is Elizabeth. That's the immediately preceding context. So it's in the sixth month of her pregnancy. It says this, keep reading. The angel Gabriel was sent from God. In other words, God's the one who initiates this move. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now listen, Nazareth, nothing special town. Might as well have said Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Green County named Mossheim or Chucky. Something like that. Nothing special to it. Have you been to downtown Chucky? <laughs> so the announcement was made to her in Nowheresville. God was sent, uh, sorry, Gabriel was sent from God to Nazareth, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed, meaning she was set to be married, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the royal line from which would come the Messiah, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he, the angel Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, which makes sense, <laughs> given that a heavenly being shows up out of nowhere, in nowheresville, to this teenage girl, who has no earthly idea what's going on. So she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now notice the next number of verses sort of heighten the expectations here. Mary, teenager, doesn't know what's going on. An angel shows up and says something like this to you. Read this, verse 30 and following. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. 
for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means God saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, now do you think maybe, just maybe at this point, a young teenager, middle of Nowheresville, visited by an angel, a heavenly being who's a messenger from God, is going to bear a son, being told she's going to bear a son whose name is God saves. Do you think she might be experiencing just a, a little bit of pressure with what I'm going to call lofty expectations? <laughs> hey, by the way, Mary, I'm an angel. Um, I'm sent from God. You're going to bear the Messiah who's going to save the world. And do you have anything I can munch on while I'm here? You're here to announce, among all of the many you could choose in the world, God, Mary thinking to herself, and you pick me of all people. Among all of the infinite and incredible ways that you, the all-powerful God of the universe, could choose to announce that your Messiah is coming. And here I am, middle of nowhere, nothing special, it's just me, Mary, and you send an angel and you tell me this. If I'm Mary... I got lots of questions. If I'm Mary, I'm going, what? But look at this. One question, verse 34. She asks one question. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Good question. I would have had about a thousand, but she has one. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, meaning he will be kept holy. He will be the actual Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. In other words, God can do that with her. He can do it with you. For nothing will be impossible with God. So basic scenario, teenage girl from Nowheresville told she's going to bear the Messiah who will save the world from sin. She's expecting, obviously, something amazing. <laughs> but notice, but notice, because this is the Christmas story here. Notice highfalutin, gargantuan, world-shattering, earth-changing expectations contrasted with this, her humble response. Look at verse 38 and following. Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The fate of the entire world is being announced. And you're being told you're going to bear the Messiah. Lofty expectations contrasted here, juxtaposed with her quiet humility. This is the Christmas story right here, friends. Let's keep reading. Jump down to 46, where she continues to express this humility to God's mission 
in a, in a sort of a song of praise. Look at this in 46 and following. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. In other words, my heart is for God's glory, she says. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She calls herself a servant here. If God wants to use little old me, then so be it, she says. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Notice this continued theme of God working differently and in humility here. Look at this, verses 50 and following. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, for those who fear him, who who know they need him. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. In other words, God's greatness is not like the world's greatness. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 53, he's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty, meaning God helps those who know they need him. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, just like he promised, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Friends, the birth of Jesus is a striking contrast of cosmic importance alongside personal humility and to get back to this theme of expectations and communication Mary's humility is a sharp contrast to the selfish conditions we often set on how we demand that God communicates to us. Mary's humility is a sharp contrast to the often selfish conditions we set on how we demand (laughs) that God communicates with us. Listen, if I'm Mary, I'm asking for a second opinion. I'm making sure Gabriel goes back to the source and goes to get some blueprints because I'm going to need a little more specificity on how this is playing out. You know what I'm saying? I've got a thousand questions. I'd be loaded with expectations for how this Jesus thing is going to go down. But don't miss this, friends. The birth of Jesus here is a lesson in God setting the tone for what he wants to communicate by how He communicates it. The Christmas story is God setting the tone for what he wants to communicate by how he communicates it. Now, if it were up to me, I'd want God to do this entirely differently. I'd want God to tear open the skies to reveal everything about him with power and might so that everyone on the whole planet in a moment, in the flash of an eye, sees and knows who he is and can stand in awe of his might and power. I would want God to show himself in all of his glory and splendor so that all creation in one huge moment is going to bow and say, indeed, he is Lord. I want him to show the fullness of his glory. That's that's me. And that's going to someday happen. But that's not how the birth of Jesus happens. That's not how he reveals himself 
through Jesus the first time. Instead, he announces his coming to a humble and lowly girl from Nowheresville and presents his son to be born in a feeding trough for animals. So here's my question. (laughs) Why does something as monumental, as as, as history-defining and earth-shattering as the God of the universe who created all that is coming down to earth, why does something that monumental get communicated to us in a functional whisper? That's a tough question when you think about it. Why does God communicate in a way that seems small, lowly, humble, and quiet when it's the kind of thing that defines all of history? Why does God whisper His coming in the lowly and in the humble and in the quiet and the weakness of a baby? Here's why I think He does. He's close. Because He's with us. Because it's personal. When you're close, you don't have to shout. When it's personal, words like, I love you, take on a fullness of meaning. God chose to communicate His love not by raising His voice because you communicate love not with bombast and a megaphone but with intimacy and care and with one's personal presence. Why does God communicate quietly? John 1.14, because He is with us. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the person of Jesus, the powerful and eternal truth of Almighty God became skin and bones. Jesus was God's personal communication to tell us He loves us. The birth of the Savior was quiet because God is close. Let's pray, friends.